Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bear. I'm John Birdsall. Kirk, how are you, sir? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's the 4th of July holiday weekend and I am prepared to holiday myself. Um, not doing anything special, I, hoping I, to play some, some golf and stuff like that. I, I believe a little door county is in my future. Um, and uh, I'm hoping, I've never spent 4th of July up there, so I'm hoping there's some good fireworks display, which I cannot believe that the little communities of Door County would just go like hog wild with some great fireworks. I'll bet you Sturgeon so Bay. Sturgeon Bay is pretty, you know, populous. I suppose, you know, for yeah. that area. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean, Door County. You no, know, it's a tourist cherry wine so or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that is exactly my vibe, but um, you know, little. Bourbon, maybe, and a cigar would be nice. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We're counting cherry bourbon. There you go. Um, <laughs> well, hey, I don't know if you've heard, although I highly suspect, and I would probably bet my life on it, that you have heard, but the cause is a free man. Well, I have heard, and the um, uh, I, I, was, I already received from uh, various sources two hilarious memes um, or little gifs, I guess they are. Um, mm -hmm. One says, "Everybody." It's the title is "Everybody: Colon Free Britney" in all caps. Mm -hmm. And then below that, it says, "The Universe." Well, the best we can do is free Bill Cosby. Oh, and it was uh, the guys from Pawn Stars, right? Like it's a negotiation. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and then I'm not going to go any lower than Bill Cosby. That's that's the <laughs> that's the best I can do. <laughs> And then the other one was just a picture of Bill Cosby in a hoodie. And it says, I don't know who this mistrial is. And it's mistrial is M-I-S-S-T-R-I-A-L. I don't know who this mistrial is, but I'd like to buy her a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully she likes Quaaludes. I don't know. Um, but, so. you know, it, this is a, a top, not only a topic of hot news, but also a topic of legal interest. So it it meshes completely in our agenda. Who well, knew? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I think a lot of people are scratching their heads. And I had a conversation with um, somebody who's a non-lawyer, but who's an extremely, like, progressive and intelligent person. And... She was very dismayed about this. And I said, look, I think this is uh, a victory for the um, rule of law. And, yeah. and, and I think I, I, I know that people are going to have trouble understanding it, but I've yeah, but go ahead. I, and, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like this is a classic example of a very, very unlikable defendant or convict in this case um who was just you know smeared all over the place and you know and everybody was just down on him even people who used to support him and um uh probably because the massive people ma massive women that came forward against him but um uh at the end of the day we have a legal process for a reason and a lot of it involves um kind of like slippery words like the word reasonable or, you know, discretion or things like that that are, that can be, you know, hard to wrap your heads around. 
but um, uh, but there's certain those certain processes of prosecutors having the ability to charge and making those decisions. And that's, that's a tremendous power. And, uh, and when they, when they make a representation um, about charges, they're bound by that. Mm -hmm. And that's what this whole, whole appeal was about because some years ago, Bill Cosby gave a deposition in a civil case. And as part of the arrangements his lawyers made, there was an affirmative representation by the district attorney's office to not charge him. Well, in exchange a lot of for him participating in the deposition, correct? Correct. Correct. And what a lot of people don't understand is, well, can't they just change their mind? Well, the answer is no, they can't, you know, unless there was something in the agreement that he violated, but um, clearly this judge uh, I don't know. I don't. I, this is what I don't understand, Kirk. I don't know how the judge in the trial court, where he had his trial and got convicted, allowed that to go forward in the first place. Well, I think it's because it was a somewhat informal agreement. Not that it was not binding, but just that it wasn't what we tr traditionally see when we have a a guarantee of no future prosecution in the form of what we would call in Wisconsin a deferred conviction agreement or a deferred prosecution agreement, which is a contract signed by both parties and approved by a judge. This was not to say that it's any less binding, but I think that, you know, when these things happen and there is a civil suit in, in the midst of occurring and when someone invokes their right to remain silent uh, at a deposition and if in exchange for, you know, quote unquote immunity, it wasn't quite like that, but it was, you know, that kind of thing where he had to agree to answer questions. And by the way, made admissions completely consistent with what he was convicted of. Um, little footnote there. But, you know, this is another thing, John, about our justice process that you know, I think you and I talk about this a lot. It, it, many people have this idea that it either should be perfect or we should somehow mold things in such a way so that there is what everyone would agree is a perfect outcome just based on what people believed happened. Now, the thing that's unusual about this one is that I don't think there's a human being on the planet, including Bill Cosby, that thinks he was innocent of any of this. So this is a procedural aspect of this. Um, I mean, heck, you know, this it was just overwhelming, including his own admissions, as you said, at this deposition. But when the government, not just some guy, but somebody representing the state of Pennsylvania, you know, says we're not going to prosecute you for this. He takes a position and that is binding, you know, that you learn this in contract law, John. I know I think you were paying attention during contract law class, but, you know. You don't need um, a written document sealed in blood in order to enforce it. Uh, contracts can be made by a handshake and a promise. And if this was That's absolutely correct, if there's something about now a lot harder to prove because you have to show a meeting of the minds, right? That's why contracts are usually written. But uh, this is something where someone has who has the authority to bind the government as a representative of that prosecutorial entity made a promise. 
Now, that particular uh, attorney that made the promise is now a judge, not the judge that presided over the Cosby trial. But um, this was a new, you know, a new and I suppose uh, different minded era in the uh, prosecution on, on behalf of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Well, um, here's, here's an interesting point on that is that, um, first of all, the um, testimony that we had referenced before took place in 2005. And the district attorney then was a man by the name of Bruce Castor, who is the district attorney in Philadelphia. And, um, and guess what other prominent role he played recently? Hmm. He was a defense lawyer for one Donald John Trump in his oh. second impeachment trial. My goodness. And um, oh, that's he, why that name sounds familiar. He proclaimed after this ruling that his decision in 2005, where he said, and I quote, there was insufficient evidence, end quote, to prosecute Cosby at the time was an exoneration of his decision and a shellacking in his terms for the current district attorney. And I think he's kind of right about that. And, um, and the thing is that the assurances that were given to Cosby in 2005 to participate in that deposition where he made those admissions about giving quaaludes to people and pursuing sex and that sort of thing, those were then used against him in this new prosecution. Right. And, And you can see how that right off the bat seems very wrong in the sense that, you know, there's reliance on things. But, hey, dude, you and I see this all the time where, you know, a cop will say, hey, you know, I promise you I'll put a good word into the DA. He'll go light on you. Don't worry about it. And those are lies that are allowed to be told, again, by a person in a position of apparent authority. Um, but, hey, I want you to think of some uh, very uh, interesting uh, observations to make about this case and other items in the news as we take a break and listen to our uh, honorable sponsors who allow us to be on the air. We'll be right back. We are back with more exciting and titillating conversations about the law. Entrancing. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you a little story, my yes. friend. Um, this actually happened twice in the past week where uh, I was at the store on one occasion and I was at the, uh, the pet store on the other occasion because my dog blue, who, you know, whom, you know, he uh, has a very special kind of dog food that he likes. So I don't get it at the grocery store. I get it at the pet food store. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm uh buying dog food, and the lady there says, Mr. O'Bear, can I just tell you that I listen to your radio show with Mr. Birdsall every week, and I'm always very fascinated, and I just wanted you to tell John that I think he's hilarious. And I said, well, good, because for every compliment we get, we get 10 hate mails. So, you know, that's <laughs> it balances out a little bit. But now that was also not true. The, I was also at the grocery store um, checking out and 
somebody recognized me and said, Hey, what's going to be in the show this week? And I said, well, John's going to expose all kinds of sordid details about his past. <laughs> so you better, <laughs> you better tune in. And the guy gave me a little wink and I, and I he said, oh, that guy's not very funny. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't mention, you know, anything about that, but okay. Anyway. So, um, you know, I had an idea about this whole thing and the, the concept that, did justice go right or did justice go right or did justice go wrong? And of course, all the news reports have been, you know, the victims of the Cosby assaults are all in shock and and upset about it. And that's completely understandable. But, you know, did you ever think about it this way, John, in, in an ideal society where we didn't have to take um, this approach where it's a defense defendant against a plaintiff, you know, in a criminal context, we could just have like a neighborhood repository where if somebody commits a crime, they can just deposit a slip and say, I committed this crime. And you could have be like a fill in the blank. Like you write in there, you know, like I committed the crime of murdering someone, you put it in the box and then they get back to you and, you know, give you your automated penalty. Um, of course, it doesn't work that way. There's a presumption that you don't want to go to prison or be punished for bad things you've done. I mean, isn't that really what the entire criminal justice system is based on? Is that um, there is it's built into the process that when you've done something wrong, you don't get to pick your own destiny. You don't get to this whole thing about accepting responsibility and all that nonsense, which is drives me crazy. And I know it does you, too because of the what it, the impact it has on fairness and on the, the justice process. Um, you know, it's just, it's fascinating to me that we have this, it's a very primitive process that we go through in the criminal justice um, system. And, and think about it. Um, we do the same thing now that we did 300 years ago. We put somebody on the stand and the jurors watch and listen and see if they believe. And it comes down well, to interrogation, like the star chamber, you know? <laughs> well, as, as imperfect as the jury system is, <clears throat> and it's, it's imperfect because it's run by humans. Mm -hmm. Humans are quite imperfect, and we have mm -hmm. biases, and we have prejudices, and we have um, blind spots, and we have, um, uh, you know, lack of information uh, to make decisions oftentimes, and we have to make a decision. And, um, but, well, there's a couple of avenues here related to discuss. The first is the basic concept of a jury. You correctly note, so, you know, I'd say 300 years is about the time we've had, like, jury systems in the world is in the, in the first in the uh, in, in Great Britain and and then obviously here now and, and pretty much uh, it's kind of a universal thing worldwide now well, well <laughs> okay it, it, maybe not in China, like, Russia and such authority form of demo democratic principle democratic yes I should okay I should qualify that yes thank you for that correction so but the point is, is that what, what that system does is that takes away the sole power to um, investigate, judge, and sentence um, that used to just, you know, be occupied with the king. Right. That the, the king, the monarch, whatever 
the source of power was, of authority was, they made all those decisions. And oftentimes on a whim or to get rid of political opponents right. or to just somebody they didn't like. And, um, and oftentimes I think uh, Donald Trump um, wished that he had that um, supreme authority. What do you mean, which he, he made, did? <laughs> he thought he did. He said, he said, and I'm paraphrasing did. here, he said something to the effect of, um, well, Article 2 says I get to do whatever I want. And that's just, you know, I get to do anything I want. And that's well, just the way it is. As long as it's uh, raising the army and the navy, I think that's right. But otherwise. Uh, <laughs> well, look. Then this this system developed because what it does is it disperses uh, the power of these decisions to multiple people, and it it pur- purposely puts a bulwark between that governmental authority, which is the one running the state and the army and all that. Um, and individual citizens. And that's what the Bill of Rights does. And juries are that independent, as imperfect as they are, they're that independent body that can come in fresh and, in theory, not have any agenda um, and make the decision about guilt or innocence. And the prosecutor is supposed to just, you know, make a decision about who they think is guilty, but they still have to prove it. They don't get just, uh, you know, we don't just take their word for it. So the perversions in the system become when people in that system, the prosecutor, the judge, or even the jury, they kind of abuse their power or they're misled or there's, you know, um, some attempt to um, color those decisions with, you know, political agendas or money or whatever it is. And so that's why it's imperfect, you know, Um, and. I, I, you know, this, this caster as the DA, I, I thought he was kind of a clownish figure in a lot of ways. Um, at least when I saw him, um, in the second impeachment trial, um, it was kind of, I was kind of embarrassed for him mm-hmm. as a lawyer. Uh, but, um, uh, and I don't know what evidence he had in 2005 to make the decision. There was insufficient evidence to, to charge Cosby, but, you know, I take him as, at his word, um, that, uh, that, that was his conclusion. Now there's thousands of times <laughs> that I've mm-hmm. talked to prosecutors that made decisions to charge where there was, there clearly was insufficient evidence and they still charged or right. they made a decision not to charge somebody that I was like, come on, are you kidding me? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, those are judgments that people make and people are imperfect. Right. And so jurors, right. jurors, you know, they make imperfect decisions too. Uh, you know, in the South, in the 1930s, you couldn't get a white jury to convict um, somebody for killing a black person. Right. Right. You just you, they would just it was just called jury nullification. Right. And so this whole thing with Cosby is being painted by people who hate Cosby or just like are generally pro law enforcement or are me too or whatever they are. They're they're not appreciating the importance of the due process Right. Reliance but, of this court. But, but let's be clear on one thing that I, that I think we can also yeah. agree upon. It's not cool to drug ladies and rape them. I mean, that just is no, no, no. But, but <laughs> if you're going to put somebody, you know, in custody for a while, um, 
you, that has to follow the the rule of the law. And you know, I I I often wonder about this that the fact that when you have these cases that are so charged with emotion and I mean, as you said, I think it's better to have 12 impartials come in and, well, at least to the extent that we can try to do that, rather than just one person or a couple of people making that determination because we have this faith, the faith that somehow the truth will come out. But you and I both know that um, you cannot simply trust the legal system to work properly. And that's a huge problem, I think, in terms of how people have a concept of what the justice system is supposed to do. That's, I mean, think about it. That's why people are so upset. The person to blame, you know, right now is not the defense lawyer that won the appeal, not Bill Cosby even, but it was that prosecutor that made that promise because it was mm-hmm. that that's who people should be mad at if they're going to be mad at anybody, right? Now, that prosecutor was reacting to the Me Too movement, and this was right around the time that Harvey Weinstein was going up on charges and that the whole thing was exploding all over the place, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for um, a lot of that movement um, in terms of, you know, women being ignored, even though I've defended many of these cases where I was thought that there was a lot of lying going on, but that's beside the point. But the point is, is that he was reacting to this political and cultural movement. And that shouldn't be part of, that should be part of um, a prosecutorial decision. And it clearly was, it clearly was because this Supreme court in um, Pennsylvania, if you read the decision, which was 79 pages long, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely like a lot of decisions of Supreme courts and courts of appeals are kind of equivocal or it's like maybe, the, you know, and, and they have like, you know, kind of like, um, uh, you know, tempered remedies for wrongdoing or whatever, or they just discern. This was nothing like that. This was, this was a horrible decision to prosecute him. This was clearly a due process violation. And while, uh, and they say this in the opinion, they say, while it's extremely rare to, um, uh, to, uh, you know, wipe away a conviction like we are doing here. Um, but that's what this circumstance demands. That's how serious they took this. And so, Attorney you know, all, sir, yes, sir, our uh, sponsors are knocking on the door. They need to come in. Well, and we have to let them in. Tell, tell people to <laughs> buy stuff. So, all right, we'll be I'll right finish back. my rant later. Very good. We're <laughs> back. Um, we did not run and hide during that commercial break. I, we had some. Speak for yourself, sir. Well, we were waiting for the, you know, the, the anti-Cosby people to break down the studio doors. But we are not pro-Cosby. We are not. We're pro-justice. No. We're, 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 we're pro-process. We're, we're pro and, you know, and this, you know what I hate? I hate listening to people say, oh, I got off on a technicality. Technicalities like the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, um, <laughs> which have a variety of... They have a variety of um, protections and those didn't just like kind of appear. Those weren't an accident. And so, yes, they're procedural in many respects, but we have to have a process. 
And if the process is just ignored willy nilly, um, then, then what do we have? Well, we're kind of just like degenerate into maybe a monarchy. I don't know, you know, or, or, um, you know, or authoritarianism or, or maybe anarchy, you know, when it really comes Possibly. down to it, if there's no, if there's no guidance, if there's no faith in the law, that's what it, it anarchy is basically when the law not only can't be enforced, but it's ignored by the populace. Um, you know, like, well, mm-hmm. I, I make this example all the time. Uh, we people speed and they do it uh, on the assumption that if they get pulled over, they'll pay the damn ticket and that's it. <laughs> it is a law that says, you know, when that sign says 70 miles an hour, it's a, it, what it means is you're supposed to go 70 miles an hour. It's a law and you're supposed to follow it. So people all the time don't, including me. But, you know, the point is, <laughs> the point is that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, that's kind of an example of something that's really gone far afield from how the system is supposed to work. Laws are there for people to follow. And it's not just to scare people or to give people parameters or bookends where they they can fit their conduct. It's to give people the opportunity to follow the law and be good citizens, right? I mean, if you know the law and you can say, "Hey, I want to be a law follower," you if and you know what the law is, you you should have the opportunity to make that conscious decision to say, "I follow laws for the good of society." Right. But <laughs> so, yes. And there's some proportionality there. So for the speeding example, um, compare that to homicide. So if you're going to kill somebody, you know, I mean, most people know, even if they don't know the details, they know there's extreme penalties for that. Probably bad. Yeah, it's going to be a bad. If, if, if you're going to speed, you know, there's just money involved and it's a, maybe it's a pain in the ass and you're going to be late to a meeting. Right. So. Myself, for example, um, I do speed too, but you know, it's very calculated because I happen to know that, um, zero to nine over is one thing. Um, 10 to 19 over <laughs> is quite it's another is a little thing. And, tw- and 20 and 20 over and above is then you're really bad. <laughs> and so sometimes I go about 19 over. <laughs> just, uh, it. just keep it inside of that. So, so I can, you know, gauge my risk and uh, reward for that. Uh, but, but the, the bottom line is, is that whatever system you're going to construct with statues and maybe regulations and um, uh, courts processes have to be put in place and things have to flow through those processes. And one of those is that when representations are made by a prosecuting power, they're bound by them. And that's what this decision says. They are bound by them. So when we have clients who have um, plea agreements and suddenly the prosecutor shows up and says, you know what, Um, I've decided that I'm not honoring this anymore and I'm going to file 10 extra charges. And um, so then we can have new negotiations. Well, no, they can't do that. They have to, they're bound by that. And I was explaining to that non-lawyer I told told you about before that this is a contract law analysis. Mm -hmm. And and that's appropriate, you know? Um, So people need to... What's that? Quid, Quid pro, pro quo. quo. 
<laughs> Throw a little Latin to make sure this is a legal show. Um, right. You wouldn't know otherwise. <laughs> so, uh, and so, you know, I, it, it's as imperfect as the system is because it's run by imperfect people. Um, these processes are, are pretty admirable and, um, and they're put in with enough leeway to allow us to, you know, react to proportionally to different situations. For example, you know, there's sexual assault. We're talking about sexual assault here. There's sexual assault and then there's sexual assault. So there's, there's the Bill Cosby and then there's the, um, uh, 17 year old who's, um, dating a, uh, a 16 or 15 year old and they can prosecute the 17 year old as, uh, for sexual assault of a child under the same law, under right. the same law with the so, same kind of penalties. Right. And, and so the law has to be able flexible enough to allow us to deal with those in more appropriate ways. So John, why so, then, why then do our legislators try to um, restrain judges from having uh, discretion in situations? Uh, like yeah, that? You just, so, you just you touched know, the nerve there. Talk about mandatory minimums. And by the way, um, I'm wondering if you know, uh, there had been a project to challenge the, the manner in which um, Marcy's law came into being and became a constitutional amendment uh, in our constitution. And part of that, you and I both know that was a political maneuver that basically um, 100% did, did not have any substance, but actually has created, and I would tell you right now, I mean, it's very easy to say, Oh, let's have victims be more, uh, you know, included in the process, which is great. That's a great idea. Um, or, and let's have them have a voice and not let them feel like uh, the DA's office or a bunch of dodos that don't pay any attention to them. Great. Wonderful. But what's been happening is that someone in that position is a bit confused about what their role is. And they're being told that you can say this, you can say that you can object to this, you can object to that. And then people feel rightfully so I'm not blaming anybody, but people feel that they actually have the ability to control the process. So the, you know, a victim might, an alleged victim might voice an opinion or might raise an objection. And then they're told, uh, you know, thanks for your input, but no, <laughs> you know, so we've set this up for like a whole ton of dissatisfaction. I don't think that the purpose of trying to, make people feel more included is doing that. And, you know, here's the other thing that drives me crazy. You know what I've noticed more so after the passage of Marcy's law and after the adoption of this constitutional, you know, amendment is that when someone who is identified as a victim from the DA's office is asked to participate. And when that person says, I disagree with this prosecution, the DA's office is ruining my family. I want my spouse back in the house and I want our lives to go on as normal. This is all just a big bunch of nonsense. And I wish you people who don't know any better 
would allow us to get back to normal because my kids are suffering and I am suffering. There are financial problems. There's all these other things. And you know what the prosecutors say? They're like, okay, thank you for saying that, but go away because we're still going to prosecute this person. And we're still going to, we, you know, some 25 year old fresh out of law school prosecutor knows more about life than the, you know, the, the two 45 year olds that are having marital problems, you know? Yeah. And, and <laughs> so, yeah. You know, well, that, you, you just, that's the heart of it is that, you know, despite what, what's, despite what victims might want or say, they, uh, they have a right to be heard, but they don't have the power to make it happen or not happen. That still squarely rests with the district attorney, which, right. you know, I mean, it's a tough balancing act, to be honest. Well, I think we've we've bitten off more than we can chew, is what it is. But we <laughs> got to take a break. So, John, hold tight. Be on the ready for more amazing and fascinating commentary. Oh, we got John. good stuff coming up here. This oh last yeah! All right, we'll be right back. We are back with more examination of the law from the beginning of time till today. <laughs> Maybe this, maybe, that would be a long title for the show, but maybe we should adopt that as a title for the show. <laughs> Probably. Could there be an acronym there? There's like a really long acronym. <sighs> Let me work on that. I'll work on that for next week. You know what we have not talked about, which is um, equally big news, is that the Trump organization is being charged in uh, state court in Manhattan. Uh, the Trump organization, not Donald Trump, uh, in a 15 year tax scheme. Um, and the company is accused of, quote, sweeping an audacious illegal payment scheme in compensating executives to help them avoid paying taxes. And squarely in the crosshairs of the prosecutors who have Donald Trump's taxes, by the way, um, after a Supreme Court fight, um, they, they have been focusing uh, on Alan Weiselberg, mm-hmm. I think I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that right, the long-time and trusted chief financial officer, um, and they accuse him of, and they're, they're well, he's facing grand larceny, tax fraud, and other charges, and um, for things like, you know, payments for his grandchildren's school tuition, for apartments, for other things that um, were perks and not taxed. And I don't know what you think of this. I, I mean, I, I, I guess I'll ask you first and then I'll chime in with what I think of this prosecution, because this is kind of what we were talking about. This is prosecutorial discretion live and in person. Yep. Well, um, I'll tell you what and a lot like. of people think it's political. So you. What's well, I don't I don't I don't think you can put a political wax on this whole thing, because I mean, let's face it, uh, the past four and a half years, let's just say the four years that preceded, uh, you know, the most recent inauguration were rife with um, examples of illegal misconduct and all kinds of revelations about things. And the typical response was, you know, I'm the president, so go away. You can't, you can't touch me like MC hammer, you know, can't touch this. (laughs) And um, you're really dated yourself there, but go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, it wasn't that long ago, was it? That wasn't like yes, the 90s or was, 80s, was, maybe 80s? Okay. Right. Yeah, th- okay. That was a long time ago. Kurt. I got right, you. Go well, ahead. I'll date myself more. <laughs> that song comes from a, a riff that comes from uh, 
the James Brown song, uh, 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 Super Freak. You know that, right? Oh, I didn't know that. He's a super freak, super freak. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so, I didn't know that song. But anyway. Back to answering your question. Uh, I think this is the beginning of a long saga that is going to play itself out. And I think this Weiselberg fellow is being uh, put under the microscope, much like Michael Cohen was, in order to, you know, peel back some layers. And when you are uh, facing, you know, potential criminal civil liability and all sorts of other things, uh, people have a tendency to freak out and, uh, you know, turn their backs on the people that they were previously loyal to. So, but, you know, I was a little surprised that this case was developed before the other pending legal complications that I think our former president is going to experience in very short order. But in it's also, I think a way when you have a, a corporate entity as a criminal defendant, which is kind of odd, but it does happen. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the fact that you are prosecuting an organization um, along with individuals involved in that organization, it kind of gives the prosecution more leeway to to investigate and uncover more things about the actual people involved. So that's kind of where I see this going. But um, and I don't see it as politically motivated. I know that the uh, you know the uh, New York City. What what is the district? I mean, it's uh, what is the state court? Just Manhattan, you know. So um, the way that the courts are structured in New York is that, um, you know, how in Wisconsin we have each county has a district attorney's office, but they represent the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, they do the same thing in New York State, and except um, uh, New York City is composed of five and they call them counties, but they aren't really counties. They're boroughs. boroughs. And so each borough has their own district attorney's office. So there's the, you know, Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island and uh, Manhattan. Um, and, and then that, like Long Island has a couple of counties, Nassau County. Don't, don't leave out the Bronx, man. Don't leave and out the Bronx. Bronx and the Bronx. <laughs> right. So each, so they have their own court, Rooms they have, they'll soon have their own jails when they close Rikers. Um, and so they did close Man- Rikers. Rikers is closed officially. I thought that was not going to happen for a few years, like the well, transition. I think that they uh, they have actually officially shut the doors. I heard that about two weeks ago. Oh, um, okay. but well, in any event, better not forget the Bronx, or my wife will be all over you, man. <laughs> in any event, the the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is particularly powerful because it's Manhattan. It's the same reason that the Southern District of New York, which is the federal district that is composed exclusively of Manhattan, is such a powerful federal prosecuting agency because what's in Manhattan? Well, the center of financial life in the country, for starters, you know, Wall Street and just Lots of federal, like lots of, excuse me, lots of corporate headquarters, just tons and tons of money. And um, uh, I, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but I heard that if New York City was a separate country, they would be like the fifth biggest economy in the world or something along those lines. Sure. So, um, so what do you know so about this whole thing? I know you're much more studious on current events than I tend to be. But. Well, here's the, here's the thing. <clears throat> 
they tried to pressure. They need witnesses to make a case against Trump. They're tr- obviously trying to make a case against Trump. They need witnesses. So they have Michael Cohen. And Michael Cohen was a very colorful figure. And he, you know, famously uh, flipped on on Trump and gave all these details. And he, his, his testimony was largely along the lines of, okay, well, he committed fraud because he exaggerated the value of assets to try and get loans. He minimized the value of assets to avoid taxes. And that's fraud. Okay, that's fine. But the problem is he's not a numbers guy. Michael Cohen is not a numbers guy. He's a he's a fixer. He's a flashy guy. He's 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 the he's he's sort of the legal muscle or, you know, throw some elbows. But Weisselberg is a numbers guy. And Weisselberg has been doing the Trump organization taxes since the 90s. And um, Trump has been relying on his unflinching loyalty, which so far has been unflinching. But well, before, we you know, flinch, before you flinch any further, my friend, uh, we're coming to an end know. of the show. So well, we're going to we'll follow up, up on this next the, next, the, the next week, right? Absolutely. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, tune in next week as you can every week right here on 1330 and 101.5. This has been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great week. Have a, have a great 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs>